As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Welcome to the NBA Daily Ding on The Athletic NBA Show. Ding, ding. How about we can just watch basketball? I like that idea. Welcome to an NBA Finals edition of the Daily Ding here on the Athletic NBA Show. I am Jared Weiss. I'm joined by the man, the myth, the legend, Anthony Slater, our Warriors writer for the Athletic. Slater, you're walking through Boston. We're talking. This is very quintessential Boston thing, running around, doing things haphazardly, just like the Celtics have been doing with Clay Thompson so far. You wrote about that on The Athletic. What are your thoughts on what's going on with Clay in this series? Well, my first thought is I want to get some oysters or something at the Ye Old Union Oyster House. I'm walking by it currently. Uh, some good bars. Great weather here, Jared. I'm usually here in the winter, so I'm trying to enjoy myself while giving the daily ding you know, more of an authentic on the ground reporting experience. Number one, number two, Clay Thompson is 10 of 33 shooting a fact that was presented to him today. Uh, and he was kind of scoffed at it. He's like, you know, thank you. Thank you for uh, letting <laughs> me know my shooting percentage, which I already know. Um, Jalen Brown asked him about it. He he said, we're not defending him well. He's just missing shots, which I think is the proper way to bo- for Boston to look at it because I do think they're giving up a bunch of shots. But what's interesting about our open shots, open catch and shoot threes, what's interesting about Clay though, is when he misses those early and he did miss some clean ones, he gets really thirsty, I would say, for like, I need to get points. I don't have enough points. I need to improve my shooting percentage. Then he starts going and hunting for bad shots. So I would say I tracked his 19 shots in game two. I would say eight good, eight really good, uh, or not, eight really good and eight really bad and like three decent. So I'd say it's a mix. I I think both sides should feel like, hey, we can't give him those shots, but Clay should also really kind of improve his shot selection also. That sounds like the Celtics offense, eight really good shots, eight really bad shots. That Jekyll and Hyde experience is what really defines this Boston team. Uh, and, you know, it's funny because the Celtics, their their thing is like the erraticism is do they actually get the ball moving or do they just kind of get stuck? While with the Warriors, I feel it's like do they move the ball too much to the point that they're getting out of control? Like, why do you think the Warriors didn't turn the ball over to the point that it burned them like they did in game one? 
as somebody is honking going, <laughs> I'm really giving you guys the experience. Um, I would say that one of the helps for the Warriors in this series, I think, from a turnover perspective, is like they're running more high screen stuff action. They're, uh, you know, Boston switching a bit more, and they get a lot more turnover prone when they are doing some of the free flowing, the split cut action. Everyone, you know, 19 passes in one possession type, you know offense whereas i just i think they're just attacking more deliberately because they kind of have to against boston and i think that's limited some of the turnovers uh generally but trust me like they can they can show up in any given night to the arena and start tossing around the gym just like boston did the other day yeah because that's that's the big i feel like the big flex point of this series is it's it's really with the two stars it's can the celtics how do the celtics guard these curry pick and rolls and then how do the Celtics contain that dribble or how do the Warriors contain that dribble penetration from the Jays on the other side? And we saw last game that, you know, I felt like in game one, it was they just completely screwed up all their coverages on Steph. Steph just stepped into a bunch of open threes. Then they generally figured it out while in game two, they never really got a good hang for it. And he really felt he just kind of he really felt his way through the third quarter. And while there were a few good stops, it was really towards the end when the Celtics stopped switching everything. And that really killed them because they haven't been able to figure out the balance of switching versus drop, which I mean, obviously nobody ever does against Steph. But do you see like, did you see something from that game that you feel like the Celtics could latch on to and figure out against Steph and then kind of force the Warriors to counter? Yeah, you know what I what I think's been a concern for Boston in this series is I just don't think Horford and Grant Williams have like held up well enough against Steph for you to be comfortable, like just switching whenever. Cause I do think like that if what was Hor- I think you put the stat in our preview what was Horford in like switching situations out on the perimeter like coming into this like some really good points for possession he was right? like number one in the league at ISO defense uh on the perimeter or something like that it was something ridiculous and yeah and like, if you're the war yeah if you could switch that I think like and, and they could hold up better against Steph like, I think it would almost be checkmate against the Warriors, but I think the Warriors feel good because I just, they don't, I just don't think they think Grant Williams, not only can't he get out and guard Steph on a switch, but what the Warriors, and they've learned this over the years. I used to do this to Houston. They always thought, look, Capella might survive against a switch and an attack in isolation, but what if Steph gets the switch, passes it, keeps scattering off ball, and then suddenly all these big guys who have switched onto him have to like navigate different screens, and they just feel like they can. They could, I guess, kind of screw with big guys that way. But also Horford, he got a couple step back threes on Horford. I just think they need to probably, I, I don't know. I, I'd almost ask for your perspective. What, what do you think their best way to go about it is? Like just hedge really far out and get back, blitz and double. I mean, Dallas, Jason Kidd's big thing was like, just double it, get it out of his hands. And, and if some teams do that. I just don't feel like Boston is as aggressive as some other teams of just like getting it out of his hands as quick as possible. I, I love that you brought up the hedge and recover thing because the Celtics, you know, during the season, it was mostly switch and then some drop. Last series, they started doing ice where they would jump, you know, the, the uh, like Marcus Smart would jump over the screen and they would push it towards the sideline. That was new for them this season. They haven't bli- they haven't shown a recovered at all this year. I can't remember. They probably have done it once or twice, but like they, they don't really do that. And 
that's a great idea for them being 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 able to it's like basically like they're switching up then re-switching and it's a little different than how they do it now where for a while against Steph they basically were doing like a high low thing around the screen where like the switch would step up over the screen and then the guy that was on Steph would sit under the screen and Steph would kind of like dance around trying to figure out which way he wanted to go with it and they would have somebody on either side but then the you know whether it was like Loon or Wiggins or, or Draymond setting the screen they would release find space and they, they would find someone on the other side I, I think the Celtics are probably going to have to take more of those kind of gambles and just force the second side guys to beat them and trust that they can spray out and recover like the Warriors are really good at doing um, but them just kind of like sitting and in, in drop coverage just wasn't working because even when they were up on the three-point line and they weren't sitting too deep they the, the Warriors would just raise the screens up to 30 feet and Steph could step into those. So I think they're probably going to have to get more aggressive getting the ball out of Steph's hands this time. But I don't think they're going to sell out and do a full-on blitz like some other teams do because the Celtics don't want to have to – like they don't want to have to get stuck in a, a three-on-four situation. They want to at least make sure they have somebody recovering back towards the middle. For sure. I mean, and look, sometimes he takes time to get used to, too. His trigger so fast from three where you sometimes you feel like you're up but suddenly he's like already released the shot. You're like, whoa, like I thought it was there to contest it. I, I think there's some of that. I mean, defenses, even in these playoffs and historically, have tended to defend the Warriors better when you start to get to game four, game five, game six, because they've seen so many of these patterns, so much of just Steph's tendencies. And I don't think it's just Steph, right? I, typically, defenses are better later in the series because they're just so studied by that point. So Maybe these in these two Boston games, you'll kind of start to see that defense look a little bit more like itself against the Warriors. All right. The big adjustment so far this series has just been Draymond just adjusting himself. And you know, I, I think like, his attitude, yeah, generally. his attitude, yeah. you know, like forget about the whole like malarkey stuff. And I think that's the perfect word to use, use with Draymond. Uh, we, you know, I'm still waiting for Marcus Smart to have his malarkey game to push back. But Draymond, I thought the big thing with him besides getting in their heads was really just the way that he was gambling on defense. Like he did it in game one and he just looked a little lost. He didn't look like he knew where he was going. He figured that out in game two. And what I really loved was he was helping off of Jason Tatum to blow up the ball. And that worked a lot of times. Like what just can you just tell me more about just from your history with Draymond, knowing about why he's so he's like the smartest guy when it comes to gambling off of certain personnel to blow up a play? Well, he's a, I mean, he's just a genius. He, he watches crazy amount of film, uh, you know, in his off days and just watches games. I mean, he's just like kind of a, he's just, he knows tendencies so well where it almost at times feels like he's moving to a spot that he knows that player is going before they even move because he just knows that player likes to do that or, uh, and he just trusts himself to, to recover. Um, because his I mean, generally he believes his brain is moving faster than the other nine brains on the court at all times. And, and you know, usually he's right. Um, now he is not always so like he needs to be like full throttle, particularly in a finals environment to survive, you know, and really kind of, I guess, survive through his physical limitations. He's six foot five and he's a big who can't shoot and, you know, can't really make layups and different stuff like that. So, he just the reason why his attitude like it was the other night, because if it's not, he's susceptible to have a really bad night. I mean, to me, I saw it most during the 15 and 50 season they had. He just couldn't get up for those games. So he was like actually like a detrimental bad player for them. Um, and, and he I didn't think he was good in game one on defense. And you almost never say that in the finals game. And I think he heard the criticism, ramped it up to 10. And now it's on Boston to realize that 
the, the Draymond you got in game two is probably the Draymond you're getting in three and four and maybe even charged up a bit more because he loves road crowds and that Boston crowd and him, I think are going to have a good time with each other the next two games. Oh, they're going to rev him on for sure. He's going to be calling people Bozo. He's going to be having fun with it. Uh, so yeah, he's going to be good. Do you, can he sustain guarding like the Jays for the entire series or does he need breaks throughout the series just matchup wise? Well, you know, I think he could, I mean, they, he, he better be able to, to keep his defensive intensity. Like he, to me, can't be relied on like, Hey, you're going to have to shut down Jalen Brown, shut down Jason Tatum, but he prefers to be in the mix. I thought the worst thing they did was put him on Horford to start game one. He's terrible on stretch bigs because he likes to roam. He likes to freelance. Uh, and, you know, you always know Tatum and Brown, even if they are shooters who can spread the floor, they're not, not going to be Al Horford type of shooters that are staying away from the action basically the whole time. They'll be in the mix. He needs to be in the mix. I think he can. I mean, that's his entire job is to like keep that energy up for 48 minutes. I also think Gary Payton, the second being there, does provide another body to, you know, tag team in with him and Wiggins, and some of the other guys. Yeah, and what I really like about what the Warriors are doing is they mix up the type of personnel they throw at those guys. You know, it's like a little, you know, a little guy that gets under you and Peyton or even Curry, who did a really good job in some of those ISO situations. And then Wiggins, who just gets low and wide and Tatum can't get around him. Like they have they have a really good matchup for Tatum in pretty much every facet. We're still waiting for Tatum to find his way into the lane and be able to finish for himself. We saw game one he could create really well. We saw game two he could step into those pick and rolls when the Warriors were messing up the drop coverages and they figured that out eventually but we still haven't seen Jason Tatum live in the paint and I mean Draymond is probably the main reason for that but he's got to be able to really throw his defenders aside and get deep you know kind of get a head start where the Warriors are late rotating instead of early rotating which is what Draymond was doing but they are the Warriors so they're pretty good at that this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So I guess my last question for you is, what do you see as like the next big shift in the direction of the series? Oh man, that is a good question. I mean, maybe because I just wrote about Clay Thompson, but like you always feel like a Clay Thompson game might be looming uh, because it always is. And I think, you know, people, you remember game six Clay, you know, from, from the Oklahoma city series, as an example, I know our producer probably remembers that game quite well, Andrew. Um, but 
you know, game two of that series, he was like five of 17 shooting. And you go to a, a Houston where he put the, the Rockets, basically he put the James Harden era to bed on, in a game six. Game three and game four of that Houston series, he's five of 15 shooting, he's six of 16 shooting. So his history isn't just littered with these like legendary games that he's known for. There's plenty of bad playoff games in his history, and two of them have already happened, which we mentioned. And I just, if you're the Celtics, particularly on the road, because for some reason, all of, a lot of his best playoff games ever are road, you know, daggers that he throws in the hearts. I just, I think the Warriors know they need at least one big Clay Thompson game the next two. So I'm just watching that. Like, if he can just randomly hit nine threes in a game, that changes the series because, you know, it has changed the series in the past. By the way, I don't think I've ever heard a single game reference during another series more in my life than game six, Clay Thompson is like, it, what is the fascination? Is is it that like that was the last big game he had before he got hurt? Like, what, what is it that people hold on to so much? Well, it's because it's been multiple game six. Uh, the one that, again, Andrew will remember, it changed the course of history sure. because the Thunder were going to win that series and the Thunder were going to go to the finals and Kevin Durant was going to stay with the Thunder, to be honest. I mean, I would assume if that happens. Instead, he hits that, they win that series, they get Kevin Durant. Um, so that's one game six. The other game six was, there's been like probably at least point three or four, but the, the one you're talking about, the one he got hurt, uh, where he had 30 points at the end of the third quarter and looked like he was going to drag them back to Toronto for a game seven. It's just like, and it, he just has so, in his history, all of his game sixes for some random reason uh, have been just awesome. Well, I wonder who's going to get Kevin Durant between these two teams after this series. That'll be the real question of the NBA Finals. And that's Anthony Slater, Andrew Schlecht, Thunder Legend, produced the show. I'm Jared Weiss. We will see you again here on the Athletic NBA Show. We have plenty of coverage during the NBA Finals, so stay tuned.